Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good to see you this morning. Hope you are, hope you're doing well. Dave was back in the first service, sitting right over there. That's why I'm pointing there. Dean is back uh, with us in the second service. They are back from Cuba, or, or Cuba, I think is the more appropriate way to say it when you're in country. And uh, we're glad you guys made it back. Look forward to maybe getting a report from you guys in the not too distant future of, of the work that's going on there. And um, I'm grateful to be back uh, here today, uh, getting to open God's Word to you after being gone. Um, we were... Uh, we were actually in town last week, um, and, uh, but the week before that, we were on vacation uh, with our son and his, his wife. Uh, we went up to Richmond and got to spend some wonderful, wonderful time with them. And I started to say resting. We, we did rest some, but we did some work helping them get their house ready to sell. And, uh, but even that was delightful and joyful. Um, I remember the days when uh, he begrudgingly used to have to follow me around when we were working on projects around the house. And um, so I acted like I begrudged. No, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> when I followed him around, uh, no, I, I didn't. It, was, it really was. It was sheer delight and joy. And uh, just want to thank you for giving us that time away um, and uh, to, to, to get, you know, some rest in. And uh, uh, are always grateful for that. One of the things that we believe and teach around here is really comes straight out of God's Word about, about rest and work, and it's simply this. We don't believe that, um, that what we do is we, we work hard and then collapse and rest. We believe the Bible teaches that rhythm differently, that the first, the very first activity of humanity in Genesis um, with God was, you know, after God created them, they didn't go to work. They rested. They rested with God on the Sabbath that God made holy. And it was from that that he then uh, let them work. And so, uh, the, the rest that we got um, was great, and I'm grateful for it because the week that we stepped in this past week was a whirlwind. Um, it, it has been a, a crazy week. Uh, the, the week before that was um, a crazy week in so many ways in our nation. And, uh, you know, the, the shootings in Buffalo that uh, obviously were racially motivated. And the 10 lives that were lost there. Um, and the horror of that. And so many of those funerals took place this past week. And then last week started... Um, with a, uh, just a horrible disclosure uh, about Southern Baptist, about the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, some of you may have seen that. Uh, it, uh, it, it was just, if you read any of it, it regarded sexual abuse and neglect of uh, the negligent care of survivors of sexual abuse. Uh, gross mishandling of some sensitive information, um, as well as lots of other issues that I'm not going into, but it was investigated over the last 20 years, uh, specifically the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, some of you may know that last summer, because there was some concern about this, that our convention, when we gathered, we voted um, to, uh, to have this looked into independently. And a task force was appointed, 
um, Sexual Abuse Task Force, and they hired a third-party outside consulting firm to come in and and examine this, do a thorough examination, investigation, and then not to, not to give the report to a committee and not to give the report to a task force, but they were, uh, they paid this company to publicly release that report. And so the first time anybody really saw it was, was when it was publicly released. And um, there were just some, some horrible things in it. Uh, and our convention is still reeling from that. Uh, I, I am still kind of reeling from that. And there is much work to do. Um, but now here's, here's the hopeful part of this. You know, God's Word tells us that we should pray and ask God to search our hearts and know us and see if there's evil, any evil in us, that He would point it out so that we could repent, and we seek restoration, and in this case, reparation. I think. And so, uh, I believe that God is at work in the middle of this, this mess. And so, that was kind of Sunday and Monday. And then I think all of us probably remember what we were doing and where we were at in the moment we heard about the shootings at uh, that, that elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, where those 19 little children lost their lives and where these two teachers uh, lost their lives uh, senselessly. And, and we were all, once again, we all came face to face with this great evil that exists in our world. And you and I, we, we, we listen to the news and all, and yes, they don't get it. They, they don't want to admit that there is a, an actual evil that's at work because then they would have to admit there's an actual God uh, at, at work in the midst of this too. But whatever was going on in all of this, it was, it was like this past week was like a great storm um, that has kind of come uh, uh, across our nation. And, and it's, it's wretched and it's horrible and we, we just need to uh, understand that and, and, and ask the question, what does God call us to do in, when, we, when we face storms, things that are out of our control. We, we had no control over those things that I just named. And you, some of you this past week faced things uh, that were completely out of your control. I, I know uh, one of our dear members, Nancy Gilbert, she lost her husband, uh, 40, excuse me, 56 and a half years, uh, Jim. And so th there, there's all kinds of difficulty and, 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 and all these storms that just rage around us and, and in us and through us. And God's Word gives us some direction on how to handle that. So I want to step out of the series that we've been in this week and, and talk about that for just a moment. What, what do God's people do when faced with the storms of life? And because God's Word has a lot to say about it. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25, we read these words, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. And I think so many of us are looking ourselves for where to plant our feet in these storms that we face uh, when, when, when they come. Where, where's that foundation? Because storms, they come with uh, storms in this life with things like opposition and they're exhausting. 
and they create anxiety when things come against us that we have no control over. But God's Word gives us some foundational truths that we can, that we can pursue to remain standing even when we're facing these storms. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, part of that chapter talks about the evil in our world. It talks about that storm of evil. And God's Word tells us in verse 13 to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and obviously we've, we're talking about that, that day of evil, we're living in it, you may be able to stand your ground. There's a way to stand when these storms of evil come against us. And after you've done everything, to stand, to still be able to stand. And so I want to look at several things this morning, four things to be exact, that I believe God's Word teaches that, that we can stand. Now, these, are, these, are, these points uh, come from people that have poured into me and that I've read, and uh, I think uh, about a book by John Ortberg, I re highly recommend it. Uh, if you want to walk on the water, you get to get out of the boat. Great book. Uh, that we'll, we'll kind of touch on some things that he said there. Dr. Warren, uh, a book he wrote, just, just so many things. And so th there, there are four things that I just want to pull from kind of the whole of Scripture. We're not going to look at one passage today. And, but, but what are four things that, God's Word points out a lot of things, but what are four basic things that we need to do to be able to stand uh, when we face these uncontrollable storms? Well, the first thing that I, I want you to see and I want to point out this morning is this. To stand in the storms of life, I've got to get attached and I need to stay attached to a faith family. I need to get attached and I need to stay attached to a faith family. One of the great maladies, I think, that has plagued the church in our generation is we have a, an attachment disorder. I believe that we have a significant attachment disorder, that so many Christ followers are not truly attached to Jesus. They're attached to principles and maybe precepts, but not attached to the person of Jesus. And that leads us to not be deeply attached to one another, not be attached to a, a, a church, a, a, a family of, of God. You know, some of the earliest words that are recorded in God's Word that He spoke, that we know about, after He created human beings, he's, the first thing He said is, it's not good for them to be alone. Just isn't good. And that's not just about marriage. It's just not good for people to go through life uh, uh, alone. That's why you need a faith family. You need, you need God's people that you can be supported by, that you can be attached to when, these, when the storms of life kind of blow in on you. And it's one of the reasons that God created His church, to give us a, a place and a space and a people to help us deal with the troubles in this world. Look at this from Ephesians chapter 4. This is about the church, why, why God gave us the church and, and gave us one another and gifted people in the church. Watch this in Ephesians 4. I'm reading from the Amplified Translation because it really, it really unpacks this passage in a great way. It says, and his gifts to the church, speaking of Jesus, were, were varied. And he himself 
appointed some as apostles, special messengers, uh, representatives, if you would. Some as prophets who speak a new message from God to the people. Some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation. Some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct. And he did this, speaking of Jesus, to fully equip and perfect the saints, that means God's people, for works of service to build up the body of Christ. And there's a reason he's doing all that, uh, the church, so that we are no longer children, so that we're no longer spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men and by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit. Friends, if you don't see that in our culture today, and even in the church today, people speaking false doctrine, people retweeting lies and deceitfulness out, out there, then, then I don't know that you're really kind of awake in the world today. Because it's going on like crazy. And we need people in our lives who will tell us the truth. Who will remind us of the truth. Because we're in a storm. And even God's people will get tossed to and fro by, by false doctrine. And we need to support one another in this struggle to seek the truth, to, to seek the Lord. And that, in, that will involve more than just showing up on a Sunday morning at this hour or just watching from, from home. It, it will involve getting connected, being attached to a group of people who know you well enough to know your struggle, to speak into your struggle. Someone you well, know well enough to call when, when you got a question, when you're confused by something. People that know you and are praying for you and connected to you. You need to get attached and stay attached deeply to a family of faith. Second thing that you need to do is you need to put God's Word into practice. You need to put God's Word into practice. There's, there's more to than just knowing the principles of God's Word. There, there's more to walking in this world. If you're going to walk in such a way that you're able to stand against the storms of life, there's more to the spiritual life than just knowing. It involves application. It involves putting things into action. The greatest sermon by far, that it was ever preached on planet earth, was done by Jesus himself. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We get to the end of the greatest sermon ever preached where Jesus gives us all these incredible principles for living life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus concludes his message this way, starting in verse 24. Therefore, he said all these things. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus says the storms of life come at you, okay? Notice what he says. Rains came down. It attacks the roof of your life. The streams, the rivers, the waters come up. Those storms attack the foundation of your life. And the winds blowing from all directions beat against the walls of your life. You're, you're being attacked all around by the storms of this life. Every direction you can imagine, these storms are coming at you. And Jesus says, if you want to stand 
and be standing in the aftermath of these storms. You've got to put his teachings into practice. You've got to actually do them. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, again, on the night before he would be crucified, this is one of the things he said to them. If you know these things, if you know these teachings of mine, blessed are you if you do them. See, the blessings of God, the ability to stand when the storms come, that, that blessing will only come if you are practicing, if you are building your life on the Word of God. So that when you face loss, or when you face sickness, or when you face temptation, when you face all these things that you are not in control of, things that could devastate you, the way you stand against those is by practicing the Word of God, putting into your life. Jesus is half-brother. James understood this. He, he got that message from Jesus. James chapter 1 verse 25, we read these words. The person who continues to study God's perfect teachings that make people free and who remain committed to them will be blessed. People like that don't merely listen and forget. They actually, they actually do what God's teachings say. Now, it says in that passage, you first got to study. You, you, you need to study. You, ne you need to study God's Word. That needs to be a part of it. And then it goes on to say that you can't just forget. So that means you need to remember it. It means you need to memorize some Scripture. We need to meditate on Scripture if we're going to stand against the storms. And then we need to actually do it. We actually need to do the Word of God. That's when the blessings come. Here's the problem. So many Christians... Just feed themselves the Word of God. Feed, 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 feed. They're doing every study that's out there. They are, there are people who are addicted to sermons. I know some of you are saying, you got to be kidding me, Joe. Now, they're listening to every preacher out there. You know, they're just addicted. They're just taking in, taking in, taking in, and they're doing nothing with it but being bloated. Just being bloated because they're not applying it to their lives. And they never experience the blessing of God. And they'll ask, man, I go to, I, I go to church every Sunday. I attend this Bible study. I go to, I, I, I'm, I'm online doing this, da, da, da. But are you doing what it says? Are you actually putting it into practice in your life? Because if you're not, the Bible says when the storm comes, you're not going to stand. You're not going to be able to stand when that, when that rain comes down, when the floods come up, when the winds come against you. You'll fall. A third thing that I see from God's Word, that if we're going to stand in the storms of life, we've got to do, we've got to flip our focus. You've got to flip your focus from the storm to your God. See, when the storms come, mostly all we can do, when things are out of control, mostly all, all that we can do is look at that thing, is, is just, just focus on that storm and think about how, how horrible the storm is. And if we want to learn to stand, we've got to flip our thinking from how great the storm is to how great our God is. Because, yeah, there are a lot of things that are out of your control, but there's nothing. There's nothing that's out of the control of God. And I got to flip my focus. Do you know what? There's a, there's a one word definition from flipping your focus from your storm to your God. You know what it is? It's worship. 
It's worship. That's what, that's what worship does. Worship is, I'm, I'm changing my focus. This is what worship does. Instead of you going to God and saying, oh God, this is such a great storm. You look the storm in the eye and you say to the storm, I got a great God. My God is greater than you. See, when, when you flip that focus, you're worshiping God. You're declaring his excellent greatness. You're declaring his goodness, his mercy, his power. And that's what it, what it looks like to flip your focus. You, you begin to worship God. There's an incredible event from the life of Jesus that involved his disciples that I want us to look at for a second. It's in Matthew chapter 8. It's a boating incident. We're going to actually look at two boating incidents today. This is the first one that I want you to look at from Matthew 8. It says this, then he, speaking of Jesus, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So they followed him into this boat. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. One of the things that I hope you know, if you, if you haven't learned this yet, you will. Storms, these uncontrollable storms that come, they come without warning. You, you don't get a memo. Storm's on the way. It, this is not so much like a hurricane as it is a tornado that just kind of springs up that you don't have you know, time to prepare for. This is what he's talking about here. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Storm's going on. Jesus is asleep in the boat. I love that. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, I don't know how you imagine that happening, you know, taking place. I don't, I don't think it was like, you know, they were drawing straws who was going to wake Jesus. You know, I don't think whoever lost, got the short straw, went over and said, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Wake up, Jesus. I think they were all standing over, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. That's what I think happened. They were just, they were terrified here. Um, and this is how Jesus replied. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then Jesus got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? See, they still didn't know who they were dealing with yet. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Everything just came completely calm. A moment ago, everything was out of control. It was, it was this storm that was raging. But friends, no matter what storm you're facing, it's never out of the control of God. And it amazed the disciples that even the winds and the waves uh, uh, obeyed him. And they were, they were just in awe of Jesus. And, and they, they began to worship him because they realized if this guy has the ability to calm a storm, if he can speak to nature, the natural forces on this planet, and control them, he's got power to do anything. He, he's got power to, to overcome and control anything that I think of as uncontrollable. So here's kind of the point. What, what, what were they afraid of? What were the disciples afraid of in that storm? They're going to die. They were afraid of drowning right there. They were afraid the boat was, was going to sink. 
do you really think a boat can sink with Jesus in it? No. When Jesus is in your boat, ultimately your boat is unsinkable. With Jesus in your boat. Ultimately, your boat is unsinkable. And see, true worship gets at this. True worship begins to see this and understands this, that the things that feel like they're out of control in my life are under the control of God. Things that I I can get all worked up and worried about. See, here's what worship does. Worship, there's things going on around you that are out of control. But worship gives you the ability to set your sail so you catch that wind and it will direct you towards the destination that you have set. You know, a good sailor can capture the wind and end up at their destination, even if the wind may be directly against them. They, can, they know how to tack with, and set their sails. And you can set your sails to let God be in control. You and I have, have that ability through worship. We flip our, our focus and we let those winds drive us to Jesus. Drive us into the very arms of God. We have to let our pain. We have to let our problems. We have, have to let our stress drive us closer to God. And so I, I have to set my sail. And when I do that, anxiety, that stress, those things lose their, their grip on me. Friends, what we're talking about here is a choice. It's a choice. And, and here's the two choices. You can either worry or you can worship. Two choices. Worry or worship. And those, are, those will take you opposite places. One will help you get to that destination. The other will actually lead you down that pathway of destruction. destruction. So you got to flip your focus from your storm to your God. Because he's more powerful. Then, this is the last thing. That, and I want to spend the most time here this morning. If we're going to stand in the storms of life... One, one more thing we got to do is this. We got to magnify, in my thinking, in my mind, I have to magnify the care and concern of Jesus. Now, remember, I started by saying I think we have a great attachment disorder in our world today, in the church, that we're not personally attached to Jesus, that we find ourselves trying to be more attached to principles than we are to the person of Jesus. And it has led to our destruction. It has led to us not being able to stand against the storms. And what happens oftentimes is when we face storms, we, we get fearful and we get scared to death. You know, we don't, we don't like them, we don't want them, and, and we get storm focused. Because we don't know how much Jesus cares. And th- this, is, this is not just about focusing on the power of God. This is about focusing on the love of God that we see in Jesus. Focusing on Jesus. Focusing on, on his love for us. And I, I want to take you to another boating incident. Okay? 
Let's go to one more boating incident. This time uh, in the Gospel of, of Mark, I want to start there. Now, the, uh, three Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John all record something, some details about this next event. In Mark chapter 6, verse 47, let's start there. It said, late that night, the disciples were in their boat, in the middle. I want you to pick up these descriptions. Late that night, in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. So, what's different about this boating incident and the last boating incident? Jesus wasn't in the boat. Okay? This time. Different story. Jesus is alone on land. He saw, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble. Jesus saw that the disciples were in serious trouble. They were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves about 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, most of you know 3 o'clock in the morning, those hours from 3 to 6 usually considered the darkest time of night. From 3 to 6. This is the darkest time of night. Jesus came to them walking on the water. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of background of what was happening here. This was immediately following that great miracle of feeding 5,000. And it was probably more like 15,000, but 5,000 men were fed that day. Their families, you know, their spouses, their children were probably there. So there were probably at least 15,000 people that got miraculously fed by those few fish and, and few loaves of bread that were there that day. And immediately after that feeding, the Bible tells us that Jesus goes to his disciples. And he says, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to take the boat to Bethsaida. Which was really just a, just a couple hour journey. A three hour tour. Never mind. Um, the weather. No, never mind. Um, I'm not going to do the whole thing. But anyway, so they, they sat out on the boat. The Bible tells us that Jesus goes back to the crowds that's there. And he sends them home. Evening's coming. It's going to get dark soon. So Jesus disperses the crowd. He goes up alone to pray. And so Jesus is alone praying. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of being uh, on the Sea of Galilee, one of the things you'll know about it is it's surrounded by mountains and hills. And so Jesus, I'm imagining, was up on one of those mountains, and he was looking down on the sea while he was praying, and the Bible tells us he saw the disciples in, in, great, in great trouble, in, in, in this great trouble. What had should have only been a, a, a quick little run up the shore to this town, Bethsaida. Ended up being this grueling, treacherous, horrible situation for them that has blown them off course because another storm has come up on the Sea of Galilee. And they come up quickly there. And the disciples are exhausted. And they are, they're anxious you know, and as you read these short, few short verses, you, you, you begin to understand why. And I just want to quickly point out six things. Six things that this, these verses tell us about um, conditions they were facing that were against them because uh, of the storm. First of all, we read a moment ago, it was late at night. Darkest part of the night. And you and I both know that fears usually increase when we can't see what's about to happen. When we can't see what's, what's around the corner. When you can't see your way out of the financial crisis that you're in. When you can't see how you're going to get help for your child who is suffering. When you can't see all that's happening in, in your marriage that feels like it, it's falling apart and the, and the mess you're in. When you can't see how you're going to make it through. 
when you're in the darkest part of the night, anxiety goes up. Another condition that they were facing was, it says they were in the middle of the lake, which meant they were far from the safety of shore. They were insecure. Anxiety goes up when we're insecure. Because they were in the middle of the lake, they were in the deepest part of the water. They didn't want to be in the deepest part of the water. They were out of their comfort zone. They were in over their heads. Anybody feel like that right now? Maybe in some area of your life, you just feel like you're in over your head. And you have no earthly idea. No way. You don't see a a, a way out of this. God God does. They, They were out of their comfort zone. But God, God was at work in this. When you find yourselves in those moments, it creates anxiety. Sleep, sleepless nights come. A fourth condition that we see here is, we, we mentioned that Jesus isn't in a boat this time. They, they felt they were having to deal with this storm on their own. On their own skills, with their own abilities. And that, when you feel alone facing a problem, it always increases anxiety. When you feel like you're the only person, when you feel like, you know, people are depending on you and looking to you and you, you may feel like you're having to face it all by yourself, oftentimes you're not. Oftentimes, like me, I, I, I put that pressure on myself. But sometimes you begin to feel like that, which is one of the reasons, we, I want to go back to that attachment disorder, one of the reasons why we need to be attached to a family, a faith family who we know is there for us and with us who'll take the journey lovingly with us and speak truth to us and encourage us. And as you're going to see in a moment, with Jesus, even though you might feel like you're alone, you never are. You're never truly alone. Fifth thing that we see is the wind was against them. Have you ever had to face opposition? I mean, people just opposed to you, fighting against you intentionally undermining something that you're trying to accomplish, that they were facing opposition. And when you face opposition, anxiety goes, can go through the roof. It can just, it can jump. What, 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 what do you feel like is opposing you right now? What, what in this life is, is, are you facing that's opposing you, that's causing you to struggle, that's causing you this, this anxiety that, that you're having to walk through? And remember, they were, they were doing what Jesus, as they understood it, told them to do. And now they're being exhausted by that. And they're frustrated because they don't, they don't understand. I'm doing what Jesus wanted to do. And when you don't understand, especially when you think you're doing the right thing, and all these things are coming against you, you begin to despair. And again, anxiety goes through the roof. Are you facing any of those six conditions today? This season of life, some of you are saying, dude, I got all six of them going on. Sometimes you feel that way. Your storm can be that great. See, these disciples, they have been rowing all night long. This little couple hour tour has turned into an all night anxiety inducing moment. They're facing all six of those uncontrollable conditions. But I want to point out something else that's in this text. Because there are three things about Jesus that you need to know when those six conditions or any any one of those six are in play. 
three things from that, that, just those few verses that are truths about Jesus. The first one is this, Jesus saw. The scripture tells us that Jesus saw his disciples. He saw what was going on. He, he saw their struggle. It was, a, it was a, a, another storm that they were facing. Jesus noticed. Jesus paid attention. He was, he was keenly aware. Friends, God sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees the storm that's raging against you. He, he knows your struggle. But we are so much like the disciples on the sea that night. Because you know what? Jesus wasn't in the boat this time. And they were unaware that he could see them. They couldn't see him. They were unaware. And because of that, they became overwhelmed. When you forget... When you lose sight, when you are unaware that God sees you, that God sees that storm of circumstance that you were in, when you are unaware that he sees you, you will be overwhelmed by that storm, by, by those circumstances. And so you've got to remember that no storm comes against you that Jesus doesn't see. Jesus sees it. He, he knows it. Uh, if you're one of those people who are prone to forget that, I would like to commend Job 31.4 to you out of the, the Living Bible Translation, okay? Because this is what it says. Speaking about God, he sees everything I do and every step I take. He sees. He sees everything you're facing. He sees every storm that's raging against you. He sees it all. And not only does he see it, but we, we see from this encounter that Jesus cares. He noticed. It speaks specifically to the fact that Jesus saw they were struggling greatly. He cared about them. He cared that their struggle was great. He cared that their anxiety was increasing, that their frustration had come, that they were exhausted. And when those things line up, sometimes we forget that Jesus cares. But here's, here's the way you can always know that he cares. Because it was the, what he always does next. And it's what he did in, in this encounter. Jesus came to them. Jesus did not, Jesus doesn't stand on the shore and shout instructions. Jesus comes to you. In your storm. In that point when you are most desperate and most battered and beaten, Jesus, he, he comes to you. Jesus acts. He moves. His, his care is moved to, to action. And he writes, the, 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 the gospel writer Mark tells us in Mark 6, about three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the water. Remember, they're blown off course. They're exhausted. They're in the darkest part of the night. And Jesus comes to them right then, right in the middle of their storm. And one of the beautiful things that I, I, I pray that you're captured by is that's the story, that's the picture of the whole gospel. Our God is a God who comes at our greatest point of need, at the place where we are most desperate. 
He comes to us. He doesn't sit on His throne in heaven and just shout directions. Now, He's given us best directions for living in this life, but He came in the flesh. Our God took on human flesh, and He came to us to, to help us deal with the problem, the greatest storm in our life that was sin that we couldn't deal with. It was out of control. We couldn't control it. It was destroying us all. And God comes in the flesh to that, to die on the cross for our sin. He comes and makes it personal. Friends, that same Jesus comes to you in every storm that you face. I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care if it's disease or financial fallout or relational meltdown. You have not been abandoned. And you need to open your eyes. The eyes of your heart. You need to cry out to God, open the eyes of my heart, Jesus, so I can see you in this storm because he's coming. He's, he's there in your deepest darkness. Again, on the night before he would sacrifice for you and me and for his disciples. He told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 18, these words. He said, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come to you. That's Jesus' promise. He'll come to you in the problem that you're facing today. And I love, I love, I love how Jesus came. He didn't come in a spaceship in that moment. He didn't get in a boat in that moment. The Bible says he came walking on the water. Now, if the wind had been against him, remember they're heading in Bethsaida. Jesus, they had started out over here where Jesus was. And so, Jesus is now walking on the water against the same wind they're facing. Anybody remember Bob Seeger? Silver Bullet Band, Against the Wind. Anybody got that? I'm not going to break into chorus right now. But he's against the wind. That same storm. And he is walking on those waves that have those disciples afraid again. Friends, when Jesus comes to you in your storm, he's walking all over it. He's in control. He, he's, he's managing it. He's on top of it. We don't have to fear. It doesn't matter what your storm is. Jesus Jesus is coming to you, and he is going to walk all over that thing because he's Lord. And we've got to see that. We've got to visualize Jesus coming to us where we are, walking all, all over that storm. Now, I want, I want to jump over to Matthew's version of this boating incident because he tells us something that Mark and John don't spend as much time on. In verse 28 of Matthew's gospel, it says, Then Peter called out to the Lord, If it's really you, tell me to come to you. I want to walk on the water. And Jesus says, Come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Again, if you've never read, um, if you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat by John Artberg. I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified. And he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now notice he did not say, he didn't say to Peter, you have no faith. Okay, Peter had a little bit. Of, he had enough faith to step out of the, the people who had no faith were back in the boat puking. Okay, the, 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 that was where no faith were. 
Peter had a little bit of faith. And did you notice how much faith it took for Jesus to save him when he cried out? How much? A little bit of faith. Just a little bit of faith. You don't have to have perfect faith for Jesus to come to you. For Jesus to come walking out to you. You don't have to get it right all the time. That's part of how much he loves you. He, how much he cares for you. Even if you don't have perfect faith. Jesus wants to come. And the Bible tells us that he picked Peter up. He puts Peter back in the boat. And that Jesus stepped into the boat. He stepped into the midst of their, their worst fear. Their great anxiety. They ste- he stepped right into the, 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 the moment of their greatest exhaustion. And now all of that changed. All of that changed. And now that boat that had battered them all night because of that storm was like the safest place on earth. It was the best place to be. I want you to notice the detail that the Apostle John gives. It says in in chapter 6, John 21, this is John's uh, part of what John reports about this event. He says, then they were eager to let him in their boat. I'll bet they were. I'll bet they were eager because they remembered we were in a storm before on this sea. And Jesus was in the boat. And he just stood up and said, shut up, wind. And poof. I'll bet they wanted him in their boat. You want him in your boat? Do you want him in control of your boat? When's the last time you invited him? into your boat. But notice, notice what John goes on to say. Immediately, immediately they arrived at their destination. Immediately. I know people who have this destination in mind of what their life needs to look like. And they've been working hard. And they have worn themselves out. And they're exhausted, and they're frustrated, and they've made some pretty dumb decisions at times. They've given in to temptation because of their weariness. They may have invited Jesus into their boat one day, but at some point they decided he wasn't as good a driver as they were, so they may have kicked him out. Can't really do that, but... Theoretically, just play along with the vision for a minute. But basically, they've said, you're not going to be in control of my boat anymore. I'm, I'm going to take the helm. I'm going to be captain of my destiny. And Jesus will let you. See, not only does Jesus want to be invited into your boat, Jesus says, if you really want to get to your destination, the best destination for your life you got to let me lead. you got to let me captain the boat. Because when I captain the boat, no matter what storm you face, it'll be good. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll, I'll come to you. I'll show you how you can flip your focus so that you know that God is greater than any storm. I'll show you how you can see my love and concern for you that is so incredibly great that how much I care for you. I want to end with one more thought. It's from Psalm 
chapter 104. I want you to look at this with me. And I've kind of pulled verses 1 and 4 together of Psalm 104. The psalmist starts out this way, Oh Lord, my God, how great you are. And then in verse 3 and 4 he starts, You use the clouds as your chariot. And you ride on the wings of wind. You use the winds as your messengers. When you are facing the storms of life, and they're raging about you, and you feel like you were beaten and battered down by those winds, if God has allowed a storm to come into your life, it's because He has a message for you. There's something that He wants you to know about Him. He wants you to invite Him into your storm. There's something He wants to speak to you through any storm that you're facing. And so the question becomes, will you let the messenger of that storm speak the truth of God to you? The truth of his love, the truth of his greatness, the truth of his power, the truth of how he will never leave you, how he will never forsake you, no matter what you face. Storms are going to come. Our nation is in a storm right now. God's people are in a storm right now. Are we, are we wanting to walk on the water with Jesus, knowing that if we get in trouble, all we got to do is call out? And even in our imperfect little faith, he's going to save again. See, he wants to do it again. And some of you are saying, well, I think I've worn out my welcome with it. No. He wants to do it again. He wants in your boat. He wants to captain it. I don't know, maybe you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to step into your boat for the very first time. You've never said, Jesus, come in. I I give you control. I am tired of being beaten by the storms of this life. I'm tired of being battered. Come in, Jesus. Step into my life. Lead my life. I give you my life. I give you control of my boat. Most of us in here did that at some point. And what Jesus is wanting to hear from us today is, Jesus, I want to get out from behind the wheel And I want you to drive the boat. And I know it still may involve some storms. But I know with you at the helm, there's nothing, nothing that can come against me. That I won't be left standing because you're faithful. Because he's faithful. Maybe you just need to step back. Maybe maybe today as we close with our worship song. Maybe before you leave here today. Whatever your storm is, maybe you just want to write it on a little piece of paper. and, And leave it at the cross today. And just say, Jesus, this is my storm. But you are greater than the storm I face. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we come. We come as people who are choosing in this moment. Recommitting ourselves to attaching ourselves to you, Jesus, and to our faith family. In new and fresh ways, we want to attach even deeper. We come today, Jesus, more determined than ever to practice what we're learning, to put into our lives and do your word instead of just reading it or listening to it, to do it. We come today, Jesus, to reaffirm that you are greater than any storm we face. We're flipping our focus. We're choosing to worship you instead of worry. And we're coming, Jesus, 
into this moment of worship, asking you to do it again because we know that you care, that you see us, and that you love us, that you have a plan for us. So we're inviting you into our boat. Step in, Jesus, and lead us through the storms. It's in your name we pray. Amen.